Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Good Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price. The VolQuest Podcast Mailbag Edition here today is presented by Exterior Home Solutions. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 865-524-5888, or always visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. Got a lot of questions in the mailbag today with Tennessee spring practice continuing. Big week for Tennessee recruiting, and last weekend, of course, a big time here in the spring. Uh, hoops wrapping up and baseball continuing on. A monster series coming up starting tonight at LSU. And uh, we'll go ahead and get into it. First one comes from Nike Vol. It's about spring practice. Austin, will Selden continue to outgrow the running back position? Outgrow as in physically? Yeah. No. no. I mean, he's I mean, if he's not a running back, he's a receiver. I mean... So, no, I don't think he's going to outgrow the running back position. West Tennessee Mike says, will Tennessee take all three tight ends and Eccles, Riddell, and LeBlanc uh, with the cycle, or is it just two commits first, obviously assuming all three want to come here? You know, that's a great question. In fact, I asked that question the other day, and I never got an answer. So, I mean, you know, it's an interesting proposition because, like, you know, Tennessee's not going to turn down Max LeBlanc at Baylor. And – you know, if they can get him 
and you know he still has some visits left anything can happen on those visits so that one by sure is by no means done but tennessee got a a lot of momentum coming out of last weekend. They got Jaden Verdell coming in this weekend for a two-day visit. Uh, he'll be in town for the seven-on-seven, seven, but he's going to do more than just the seven-on-seven seven stuff. And so, I, you know, and, and obviously Tennessee feels like they, you know, are still in a pretty good spot with Jonathan Eccles. So, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I, I wish I did. Um, I want to lean yes. Like, I don't think – now, do all three want to come here? You know, uh, if, if two were here, I, mean, I just don't know how that would play out. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing three want to come here. If ten, if they all wanted, all three wanted to come here. I don't know that Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee would say no, given where their tight end room is. Yeah. Um, you know, you got you're going to have one scholarship tight end next year, um, on your roster, other than whatever you sign, right? Because the only guy returning as a scholarship guy is going to be Ethan Davis, and so uh, yeah, I mean, they would take three or two and one in the portal. I think they've got to have three new tight ends in that room. Is my point. Yeah, I agree with Hubs. I think what you know what Hubs just brought up makes the most sense. You take the two high school kids and then go to the portal. Kind of like you you know, Jake Merklinger is going to announce his decision coming up here uh, in a few hours. Tennessee lands that one, then you know, I don't see them. Out, you know, as I said the other day, like would Tennessee take more than one quarterback? And I was like, well, not at the prep level, but I mean, could they take a, in theory another quarterback out of the transfer portal, knowing kind of where? That position will be uh, after this coming year. I mean, I think it's certainly possible. So, to me, that tight end and quarterback, the tight end and quarterback rooms kind of run parallel to one another. Yeah, a lot easier to get a transfer tight end than it will be a transfer quarterback. Yeah. If, if Nico is is the guy, um, you know, and, and is, is established himself, it's going to be a lot harder to do. Nashville 615. Got a couple of questions. If Nico doesn't prove to be the heir apparent this spring, do they continue to look for a third scholarship quarterback this summer, Brent? No, I don't, I don't think there's a third scholarship quarterback who would want to come um, at, at this point. And, and I don't know what I don't know what you I don't know how you prove to be the heir apparent. I mean, in practice, practice is yeah. in. I don't think anybody's going to say Nico's. You know, get his bust ready um, for for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> or are they going to say he can't play? So, well, I, mean, I don't. I don't think it, Rob. I don't think it changes anything from a quarterback. Well, I mean, just to, to talk about how you can't put that much on spring practice. I mean, think about two years ago, Hendon Hooker coming out of spring practice. Check, check not, down, check down, check down. Not, I mean, he had not. He had certainly not proven himself to to be you know the next big thing. And, and so no, I mean, and that's a guy who you know had been played four years of college football at that point. All right, give us a breakdown of Jake Merklinger's skill sets or QB comparison. AP, is he a good runner? How strong is his arm? And then another one here on a Merklinger from Doolittle Vol. Again, a, a decision is coming up, an announcement coming up later today. We'll see if it's Tennessee. Assuming Merklinger does commit to Tennessee, how vocal will he be in peer recruiting? I mean, I, I think that, you know, you know, every quarterback is going to do their part, right? Um, but that doesn't always translate. I mean, everybody thought Nico was going to result in all these players coming here, and it just didn't pan out. Um, so it, I just I think it's hard to judge that, right? I think it's it's not necessarily one player as it is a group. You know, when Tennessee's had good groups, they've been able to peer peer recruit kind of like a pack of Velociraptors, Jurassic Park. You know, I mean, like you know, going to get their prey. Um, you know, Merklinger to me it moves well. Uh, has good arm talent, has a good head on his shoulders, is super competitive. And I think that's the the best thing you can say about him is the guy just likes to compete. And, um, you know, he's choosing, a you know, you know later today, you know, between Tennessee and North Carolina, you know, if 
it's Tennessee, and, and most of the momentum is with the balls, right? If it's Tennessee, he's choosing a place that has someone in front of him. North Carolina does not, which means he likes to compete. I, you, you, can't, you can't not like that. All right, let's go to Sam Smith, 22-33. Tennessee, LSU this weekend. Uh, baseball, what are some advantages Tennessee has to exploit? And what are your predictions for this weekend? Oh, it's time for a caner take, boys. Caner take, here we go. What, if anything, do you see that is causing Doe and Burns to struggle early? I, I'll start with the second one. This is just my opinion. I'm certainly not a baseball coach. Um, those two guys continue to rely on their fastball. And in the SEC – there are good hitters here. Like, uh, you know, you can't throw one, two fastballs right down the middle. And that's what Burns has done for two straight weekends. Dolander did that earlier um, uh, in the season a little bit more. So you got to rely on your secondary stuff more if you're those two guys. Um, and then as far as LSU, I mean, this is a good baseball team. I, I just got done writing my preview. Dylan Cruz is leading the nation in, in, in average. Tommy White has come over. He's got 42 RBI already this season. I mean, up and down. Trey Morgan is an all-conference player, and he's you know, batting third in the order, but he's the seventh-highest average guy on their team right now. It's just it's incredible. And then, oh, yeah, you got Paul Skeens, uh, who's allowed three earned runs and 37 innings so far. So uh, get to the bullpen, I guess. Um, jump on them early, which is what Tennessee's not done the last couple of weeks. Um, but it's going to be a tough one, Brent, and I think if Tennessee comes away, and I mean, Tennessee can win this series, don't get me wrong, but just don't get swept is, is kind of how I'm viewing it because this stretch, Brent, you have coming up with LSU and then you got Florida, Vanderbilt, you know, Arkansas, all those kind of jumbled in there. It's going to be critical. Dum, 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 and that's been a cater take brought to you by Exterior yeah. Home Solution. Let's get the, the sounder um, ready. The, uh, the, you know, the thing about this LSU team is just how, how much they score. Um you know, that they're a lot like what Tennessee was a year ago in terms of offense. I mean, they, they can just put so much pressure on you because of the number of runs that they put up. Um, I know they've got a couple of games where they've scored in the 20s, and maybe that skews a little bit. But they, they don't, they're not involved in a lot of 3-2 games, right? That, that's just not who they are. So the challenge for Tennessee will be can they, can they you know, quiet their bats down and, and keep it a low-scoring game? Because I don't think Tennessee offensively – is going to win a lot of 14, 12 games uh, right now with where they are. So that's that would be my biggest take is can they slow that offense down a little bit? Here's the other thing, too. How does Tennessee handle the environment? Because I can promise you this. LSU fans have been waiting for Tennessee to show up for two years. That they, they, they remember the Tennessee crowd. They remember what their, what their coach said at the Super Regional about how the Tennessee, you know, fans acted and, and how hostile that place was and – and Tony Vitello and the guys kind of stoked it a little bit about, you know, our house and all these things. LSU's laying in wait for Tennessee tonight. That will be as a hostile environment as Tennessee will play, and maybe until they go to Arkansas. Those two trips are going to be brutal trips from an environment standpoint for Tennessee to get involved in. Yeah, and Tennessee got them in the SEC tournament last year as well um, in that late, late game, if you remember. So it's going to be a big one. going to be a big one for sure, and I'm excited to see how they compete. Uh, let's go to HS Vol. Got a couple here recruiting. Who is the most important recruit for the 2024 class, and who would you say is the most realistic edge Leo possibility? Man, I, I don't know if there is a, a most important recruit because I think that there are most important positions. I think offensive tackle. Um, I think you know Tennessee continued to recruit well on the defensive line with Kamarion Franklin and, and some of those players. Um, 
you know, if Tennessee could land one of that kind of like Mike Matthews, Ryan Wingo, Amari Jefferson would be a, a nice get to go along with J.J. Harrell and Merklinger, um, you know, the quarterback, you know, providing they land him later today, you know, I think when you ultimately look, though, Tennessee needs to add t- offensive tackles, defensive linemen, and then who do they get at running back? Like, you know, let's say Cam Seldon. Let's say, and, and, and right now, there's again, your handful practices in, there's nothing to say yes, no, maybe, whatever. But let's say they end up not wanting to play him at running back. They've got to land a good running back in this class. Is that Braylon Russell? Who is that? You know, and so. You know, when I when you look at it, I don't know if there's just a necessary like, or this is the key to the class type player. I think there's a bunch of keys, and they're at different positions. Yeah, I just think when you look at, you know, Rob, they've got the luxury this year of having a veteran defensive line coming back, which should really help this defense. The reality is, you don't stay veteran very long because that means guys are departing your program and, and graduate, moving on. I, I think this. I think the most important recruit for this class is defensive linemen. Period. Because I think you've got to keep recruiting. Because you, you you don't just plug and play those guys. They they need a year to develop in a lot of cases. So I, to me, that's the most important position overall. Sorry about that. Unless I mean, unless you've got a couple of studs that you know just popped up as freshmen, you're recruiting that position. I mean, think about it. Still not quite knowing what you have because when the guys in this 24 class get here, you're hoping Tyree West is a junior who's established himself. I mean, you know, you're hoping Pierce and Josephs are are you know up are juniors who are guys that you can count on. But right now, in this as this recruiting cycle is starting, and those guys aren't sophomores yet, you don't know for sure. Well, at the, Rob, to that point, it's easy to sit here and fall in love with Jordan Matthews and, and you know, Caleb Herring and, and a bunch of the – and Arian Carter and a bunch of those freshmen, right? But the truth is, you know it's just hard to get on the field as a freshman. So, like, to me, Tennessee's got to hope that that group of Elijah Herring, Caleb Perry, Tyree West, James Pierce, Josh Josephs, those players are the ones that have to take the big step. And then we'll see if they can kind of find a freshman or two that actually can help them realistically in the fall. You know, it's just hard to get freshmen on the field. Let's go to Athrun. He's got a couple here. We'll stay with Rob and talk about basketball. Any rumblings about basketball transfers yet? About people coming in or out? I mean, I have anything. As far, the people, above. Uh, as far as guys going out, I mean, not anybody that has one foot out the door. I mean, I, I think there'll be some guys that are, you know, we're, we're taping this on Wednesday. You know, let's do it on Thursday. This week, everybody will meet with Coach Barnes individually, and they'll talk about their futures and and, and kind of go from there. But right, right now, as far as guys on the team, I'm not hearing anybody that is, you know, headed out the door for sure. But in this day and age, you, you don't ever rule that out. Um Guys coming in, uh, McKnight kid from Western Kentucky, um, the point guard is somebody that Tennessee is really serious about. Um, oh man, the Harvard transfer from Harvard, big man, averaged 18 a game last year. I'm going to blow his name right here, so I'm going to look it up real fast. Chris Ledlam, big man from Har- who's transferring out of Harvard. He's a fifth year guy. Those are two that that I know that are real. Now Tennessee, I'm, I'm sure, has reached out to a ton of other kids and is doing some background stuff, but. Uh, the point guard McKnight from Western Kentucky and Ledlam from Harvard are two that I, I'm sure they're, they're serious about. And um, young man, we had in, in the war room last week from um, Northwestern, Northwestern state down in Florida, big guard is another one that um, 
that they like, and I'm digging on his name right this second. <laughs> uh, but that one, those are three. I mean, and again, I mean, you're going to hear dozens of names come out there. Tennessee is going to check out a lot of them for sure. But, um, you know, as far as the things that are real right now, uh, DeMarcus Sharp is the guard for Northwestern State. So though him, McKnight, and, and Ledlam from Harvard is three that are that Tennessee's got legit interest in, but man, I mean, there could be a dozen more come out, you know, in, in the next few days. Back to the football field, gut feeling. Brent Hubbs, do you think Gabe Judy Lolly starts for UT most of the season? I think he's going to play. I mean, I, I, and so I guess my answer right now would be, yeah, I, I, I like what I've seen out of him. I like his maturity, Austin. I like what he's doing to help young guys. He's clearly a guy with a lot of confidence, a guy with experience. Um, you know, we talked about it the other the other day. I mean, they've got more pieces to try to fit into the puzzle. We'll see how that all shakes out. I just – William Martinez likes experience, and he's got a lot of experience. So, he would – so, you know, Gabe would make a lot of sense to play a lot of snaps for Tennessee. Yeah, if I was a betting man, Tennessee starting corners to start the season would be Danico Slaughter and Gabe Judy Lally. Any – leaders emerging yet in the secondary you would like to think it'd be tank with how bad he was uh it's been hard to think he uh will be a leader back there anyway leaders in the secondary i mean it is tank mccullough because he's been a leader back there the last couple of years yeah i mean you know we'll we'll see i mean at, at this point too early yeah and, and look i mean Danico's played a lot of snaps wesley walker's played a ton of snaps in college football You've got Gabe in there. He could be a leader. I mean, that, that thing's revolving. Right now, you got to figure out who your best five are before somebody takes off and, quote, becomes a leader. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I think the I think the question on this team is going to be kind of leadership in general. I think you got Joe Milton on offense, and we'll see where their defensive leaders is. Is that Omari Thomas? We heard Rodney Garner talk about he does everything the right way, but he needs to be more vocal. Is that is that Beasley? Is there a young kid at linebacker? Is that the transfer, Keenan Peely? Can he emerge and be a, a leader out of the gate? You know, just arriving on campus, much like um, much like Judy. So, uh, or Judy Lawley. You know, I, I think it remains to be seen what what the leadership looks like. That's going to be formed in the summertime more than it's going to be formed in fifteen spring practices. Judy, 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 Judy. Rocky Top Matt wants to know, says Brent talks a lot about identity with the football teams. Taking that concept to basketball, what does Coach Barnes want their identity on offense to be? Right now, I'd say they don't have one. So what ideally would he want that to be, and what do they need to change on their roster in order to get them there, Rob? Uh, I mean, they need somebody besides Zakai Zero that can put it on the floor and, and get to the hole, I think. I mean, and Julian Phillips, you know, had the ability to be that guy, but I, I think as, as the season wore on, the, it, it, to me, in my opinion, he wasn't ready for the physicality of the SEC. I mean, I think you saw his forays into the paint and into the rim kind of steadied, steadily decline as the year goes on. So I would say another, you know, somebody else on the perimeter that is a, a penetration threat. I mean, Meshack did some of that, got better at that as the year went on. So I think he brings some of that off the wing. I, I would say in the most basic sense, I mean, Rick wants to play inside out. I mean, I, I'm not an X's and O's expert, but he wants to do that with motion offense principles. But it, playing inside out is, is I, I would say, the most basic building block of his, of his offense. And, 
you know, they were <laughs> they were hurt this year because they didn't have reliable inside scoring. I mean, Olivier could look like an All-American one night and give you, you know, four points the, the next night. So you got to get – you don't have to have a 20-point-per-game score, but you got got to get somebody that's just reliable and consistent in there. And, you know, outside of Santiago – and even he was inconsistent, but outside of Santiago, you know, just not reliable from three. So, I mean, if you want to play inside out, if you're not stuffed with you know a bunch of guys that that are penetrators and facilitators, and, and you don't have a lot of great shooting, I mean it's pretty easy to see how you struggle on offense. I mean I, I don't. I mean you got you've got to have some guys that are more skilled. I mean you can't just blame a coach for not drawing up you know 40 sets a game to to get you 40 good looks. And yeah, I get. It. I mean he's he's got to recruit those guys to fit his system. But to me, and, and it was. I thought it was really heightened, Hubber. I know we talked about it a lot. I mean, once Zakai went down, penetration, you know, breaking defenses down was pretty much non-existent. Yeah, and that's a big part of playing inside out. It's not always a paint touch to a big man inside out. The ball has to go in the paint to create inside out action, whether that's a pass into the post player, whether that's a, you know, a dribble penetration, whatever. You know, the thing about basketball that's different than football to me is, if you if you polled 10 people and said, what is the offensive identity of the four teams in the Final Four? What, what do they do offensively? They score. But, I mean, th- there is no there is no great schematics, in my opinion, in basketball. It's, it's about uh, it's about an individual's ability to put the ball in the basket, whether they how do they can score and whatever. I mean, what was Kansas State's offensive identity? A point guard get 12 assists a game. You know, he creates and moves defense. So it's the schematics of it in basketball are not comparable to football, in my opinion, uh, just because there's so much individualized play and an individual creating a play, which one person can do. Whereas in football, the running back has a hard time going 70 yards without help of 10 other people. Okay. But a point guard can go to the basket, score a layup, and nobody helped him. Nobody did anything but just stand out of the way, right? He beat his guy off the dribble one on one and go make a play. So, you know, in basketball on offense, talent kind of takes over in a lot of cases. I mean, you can draw sets up coming out of timeouts. But, Rob, you're right. You're not going to draw up 60 sets, you know, for 60 possessions to try to score 80 points a game. Just That's just not the game of basketball. March Madness is still going on despite Tennessee not being there. Unfortunately, the Final Four coming up later this week. It's time to shoot your shot. If you haven't already, you can score big with a nonstop action over at MyBookie. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting on the eventual eventual national champion winner, or simply looking for a player or game props, MyBookie has got you covered. Getting started with MyBookie is simple. Visit the website online, make your first deposit, and use that promo code VOLQUEST to claim an exclusive deposit offer. That's promo code VOLQUEST, V-O-L-Q-U-E-S-T, to claim some extra money on top of your initial deposit. With hundreds of thousands of prizes for March Madness and weekly blackjack tournaments, turn your game day into payday over at MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And as always, big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions, the title sponsor here of this Mailbag Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll hit up DC Vol 25. He says he's never watched Keenan Peely before. 
Who would you compare him to? Nick Ravez? Brent, you want to leave this off? Bigger, bigger than Nick Ravez. Okay, bigger than Nick Ravez. Um, we'll see how we'll see how he moves. You know, um, I I don't know when the last time they've had a, an inside linebacker of this size. You know, and again, I think that because of that, I want to see how well he moves laterally, sideline to sideline, particularly coming off the knee injury. Um, More athletic version of Robert Peace. He, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he he looks like a throwback inside linebacker from a phys, from a build standpoint. And again, that's why I want to see how it translates into what they want to do and, and all of that. But uh, he's definitely bigger than I think he's bigger than Revez or Robert Peace. Um, but you I see do think, him and Beasley standing side by side, and there's a big old difference. Yeah, there's a big difference there. So I don't, I'm not sure who I would compare him to right all right out of the gate. Dick Budkus. <laughs> <laughs> No. Look at me laughing. You said a name and I got it. All right, let's go to Z-Vols. He actually asked this question last week and we didn't get to it, but this is a good question. Um, Austin, Brent, this is for you and, and Rob too. Uh, based purely on potential coming out of high school, how would you rank these linebackers? Henry Tuotuo, Edwin Spillman, Aaron Carter, Jalen Reese mabin Elijah Herring, Daniel Batuli, Darren Kirkland. Well, okay, first off, there's way too many there to go through these. Well, just Tennessee linebackers that they've – highly recruited linebackers they've had the last couple of years. I'll go. I'm sitting here looking at them. Um, Henry Henry T. was probably the most prepared coming out of the program that he came out of. That's why you saw him make the impact that he made as a freshman. Uh, I'm going to pass on Edward Spillman because I've not seen that. Arian Carter is an athletic guy who seems to have a really good feel for the game. Reeves Mabin was an undersized linebacker who played safety that Tennessee took a chance on that some other schools weren't going high on because they weren't real high on because they didn't know how big he was going to get. He needed time to develop through special teams. Um, Elijah Herring is a guy who has put on plenty of weight. I think he's got to continue to get a better feel for the game. Um, Daniel Petuli was a guy who had all the physical tools but had to grasp playing linebacker at this level. He was very much a see ball, hit ball kind of guy. And Kirkland was a guy who, um, you know, I, I think was a good player. You saw his impact early, and then he battled injuries, you know, pretty much his entire career. But, you know, he made it certainly an early impact because he had a good feel for the game. Um, you know, so that that would be where I would rank those guys coming out. I don't know about one, two, three, and four, but that's how I would, would describe those guys. You know, Aaron Carter we've seen four times. I've never seen him tackle anybody. I saw him make a heck of an interception in the open field. He runs around Austin, and he looks really pretty running around. Uh, but I've not—I don't know what it's going to look like when you get into a scrimmage setting and, and how he plays because I haven't seen it yet. I think athletically, Jalen Riggs, Maven, and Arian Carter are the best two athletes in that group. Um, Agree. Darren Kirkland to me is a lot like Todd Kelly Jr. was. TK was never super fast, but he—he he, he had a nose for the ball. He knew where to be. That's why he had so many interceptions. You go—I mean, Todd Kelly's got a ton of interceptions in his college career and he was never the fastest guy it's not like he was out there just you know um you know just athletically superior um he just was very smart so athletically i would take carter and jalen Maven over the rest um hubs is right henry was very prepared coming out of high school which is why he was so good early on and i mean i don't know how much more he improved from you know freshman year to senior year and then you know after that i mean it you know some smart guys, some guys that had a good build that maybe, you know, from a mental standpoint, didn't have the, you know, uh, the best track record, but, you know, could still make plays. So I would go Carter and Jalen Reese maybe would be my top two. Athletically, yeah. Yes. I don't agree with that. 
Nashville 94 wants to know why Tennessee is struggling to recruit high-end running backs. This offense has shown that they can run the ball effectively, yet we can't seem to get any of the top-end guys. It's a great question, and a question I just don't know the answer to. Um, you know, a couple of those programs, a couple of guys they've been in on have ended up at Georgia or Alabama. Those two teams are just going to be hard to beat because of their track record uh, for handing the football off and their track record with tailbacks that are in the NFL. And, you know, I'm interested to kind of see how the rest of this 24 cycle plays out. Who does Tennessee land at the running back spot? And this is going to sound a little bit crazy, Rob, but I, I think Tennessee has to market their running game better. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think the reputation – you're muted, by the way. I think the reputation that you have with, um, with this offense is that they throw it all the time, which is unfair, which is wrong. But you highlight, you know, average yards per reception, big plays, all those things. There's not a – I think they got to sell the fact that they run the football more to get some guys' attention, particularly when they're young – trying to figure out what schools are interested in. How many running backs have we heard that say, well, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't realize Tennessee ran it as much as they do. They run the football a lot, Rob. But I feel like, sorry to jump in front of you, Rob, but they put out graphics all the time. I mean, since the end of football season, there's been leading the nation, 39 rushing touchdowns, only team in the nation averaging 300 yards passing, 200 yards rushing a game. I mean, they've, I mean, maybe they need to do more, but I, at least I've seen it. I mean, they're not, they're not hiding the fact that they run the football. Yeah. I think it's a misconception, and we've we've talked about it before. That you know the passing stats are so gaudy, and you know Hendon puts up these numbers, and Jalen Hyatt puts up, you know what what he did last year, and Tillman comes out of nowhere and does the same. But I mean, Tennessee had just shy of 500 carries last year. I mean, but outside of um, Ole Miss and Arkansas, who were predominantly run first teams, I mean, Tennessee had as many carries as anybody in the league um, last year. So I Hubbard hadn't, hadn't really put the word marketing on it, but. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty good way to to, to describe I think, it. I think the perception is they throw the ball all the time. I'm, I 100% agree. I mean, it's just not true. They're really balanced. They've averaged over 200 yards rushing a game in both seasons. Josh Heupel's been here. So, um, <laughs> I mean, just look up a stat sheet, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of that simple, in my opinion. Well, just, I mean, EC last year, they had 485 rushing attempts and 394 passing attempts. And most people and, yeah. probably would not believe that. And Austin, what did the running back who just committed to Michigan tell us when he left Tennessee? To throw it. That Jordan Marshall said uh, he didn't know that they ran it as much until yeah. he came down there in January. Well, he got down here and they put it in front of his face. Yeah. yeah. Which goes back to what Hubs is saying about marketing it. Yeah, that's my point. But I think you've got to market it more, so, more than just Twitter. You know, I mean, I think this is something you've got to get on. You know, you've got to hit – you've got to hit – if I'm Jerry Mack and Josh Heupel and Joey Halsley, I'm looking at 2025s and 2026s, and I'm hitting them in the face with the, the stats, not waiting until it becomes their class. I'm, I'm getting two classes ahead with driving home the point of, look how much we run it, look how much we run it, look how much we run it. Miami Joe wants to know, how has Nathan Leacock been doing? He's a freshman. He's 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 having some he's having some freshman woes. Um, he's well, going to be pushing fine. him so the head's spinning. Yeah, I mean he's going to be fine. He's just you know right now he's stuff you know catching the ball, which is very natural to him, and it doesn't feel very natural because his head is cluttered with everything he's supposed to be doing, which is why you come to spring practice. You don't want this feeling for the first ten days of fall camp because you don't you don't catch up at that point 
to have a chance to be an impact. You come for spring practice to work through all this stuff that he's working through right now. I still think he's going to be really fine. I think he's going to be a good player. Um, I like everything about him physically. He's just going through the growing pains of learning a brand new offense um, and, and, and all those, the things that go that go into the offense in, in terms of being a receiver. Man, I tell you what, I, you guys have been out there. I've, I've been was doing hoops last week. That, that's one of the kids that jumped out to me on, on the practice field. I mean, he, he's thin, obviously. That, that legit six, maybe legit six five. I mean, he. I was I, I was surprised at how long he was. He's got, I mean, he's got a lot. Of, I mean, he's got a lot of tools and a lot of things to 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 work with. Again, he's going to be just fine. It's just he's going through the the head spin. The head spinning moment right now. I think Nico's dealing with a little of that. I think it's very oh, yeah. normal. I think it's very normal for for guys to do that, and you're going to see it on defense as well. Um, it's just part of the process. I remember last fall camp. Um, maybe it was Tim Banks. Maybe it was Brian John Marie. But somebody was talking about Caleb Perry, and they were like, "Man, he's going to be good. He has literally no clue what he's doing right now. But he made two plays today, going going a million miles an hour, and and that's you know that that's how I, we're talking." linebacker to wide receiver here but that's the same thing right i mean you just you just got to go hard um got another baseball question you guys ready yep from give us Maval, a uh, so what give us a caner take all right you need some bumper music when you're about to we do we do take. maybe um, Trey can um, add it in and post it's time for a caner take brought to you by and it's addressed to me and men so it's for all of us eric and men what is the current thought about why our starting pitching is struggling so much this year? ERA seems a good bit higher, and we're almost always giving up first inning runs. Um, we or we, we get it rolling like Chase did on Saturday, and then suddenly the wheels come off in the six. Any thoughts on the case uh, or the, the case of work from Tony Vitello uh, from the staff so far? Well, um, I'll say this: Tennessee is third nationally in ERA. Doesn't feel like it at times. I get it, but Tennessee is third nationally through twenty six games with a two sixty two ERA behind Virginia and Wake Forest, leading the SEC. Um, where they've struggled is in the first inning. The bullpen's been really good, guys. Um, where they've struggled has been in the first inning. We talked about that a little while ago. Um, and, and again, like I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I don't really know. The thing with Chase Burns on Sunday was really, was really weird because he was literally he was in such a groove. He retired twelve in a row, twelve straight or whatever, and and he got two quick outs there in the sixth, and then it just, it just, it just was done. Like the bottom of the barrel fell out. So. I'm not sure, and it took Tony Wall to get him because they had nobody going to the bullpen because, again, he was rolling so well and his pitch count was fine. So, um, I don't know. They just they got they got to fix the first inning. They really really do. Um, here would be, here be my question: What was their ERA last year? Okay. I don't have it in front of me, but it was good. Yeah, but it was also it felt it was even better because they were scoring nine ten runs every outing, yeah. right? Um, and I think too, Austin, you you got three pitchers that everybody was saying is the next Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox. Right? <laughs> Steve Avery, baby. Don't forget yeah. Steve Avery. That, that was the vibe about the staff. And they've not been bad, but, you know, they've struggled in the first inning for sure. But I think the expectations for these guys is that they were all, you know, it was going to be three Roger Clemens out there on, you know, that nobody else had what they had. And, and, there's, and trust me, there are teams in this league that would trade for Tennessee starting pitching right now. They've just got to get better. I thought they threw the ball better this past weekend. The weather helped. They've just got to get out of this first inning issue. And Burns, is, I mean, you're right about Burns. He did that a year ago. He'd be cruising right along, and then he'd groove one down the middle, and it would end up in the parking lot somewhere. Yeah. And he's just got to avoid that. And, and like with Drew Beam on Sunday, 
Uh, now, granted, at Missouri, he gave up four runs. That, that was all his fault, even though he was not, you know, earned a an earned run on the day. He walked and then had a throwing error. But, like, his first inning run he gave up Sunday, that was a Lindsey Nelson home run. I mean, it just got – they reviewed it, too. So, like, it's not all been bad. I know it feels that way a little bit, but they did improve last weekend. Um, one more on the baseball question here. Bonus, uh, what is going to be the solution behind the plate or will be a platoon approach all year long? I think they're going to catch multiple guys all year long, and you're going you're gonna to see a lot of Jared Dickey. I mean, you will, um, especially if Tears is healthy. Uh, getting back there in that outfield, you want the better defensive lineup and, and a lineup that can hit. And, you know, that's a lot of times going to be Jared Dickey behind the plate. Like I wrote in the 3-2-1, though, I think you're going to see a lot of Charlie Taylor coming in at the end of games and and relieving him, and then he'll go to the outfield. Also, you know, I even had this question on Sunday. They had Dickey in the lineup and Stark, but Stark at the DH against a lefty. Like, if you have those two guys in the lineup, why don't you have Stark behind the plate? The DH can't take the place of a defensive player. So in the fifth inning, they went and pinched hit for for Cal Stark, and you, you don't want to do that to Jared Dickey because you want his bat there the whole time. So um, I think it's going to be a lot of guys throughout the rest of the way, but you're going to see a lot of Jared Dickey behind the plate, and he's just got to find a way to improve now getting back into it, the everyday thing, hadn't caught since fall. Let's go to Iron Vol. Brent with University charging admission for the spring game. Do recruits have to buy their tickets to the game um, if they are going to go unofficially? No. No, they do not. I had to think there, but no, they, they do not have to buy a, a ticket. They have to be invited as an unofficial visitor, but they don't have to buy a ticket. They have, I mean, they, they have to be given a ticket to get in. They can't just walk in. So it's a little more of a, little more of a deal there, I guess, but no, they, they do not have to buy a ticket. We'd like to hear first impressions of some of the other newcomers, not necessarily that they'll help this year, but how are they looking so far? Let's go one by one. Just anybody blurted out here. Larry Johnson, the offensive tackle. Big raw. Christian Conyer, the cornerback. Uh, athletically gifted. Uh, has to learn to work at the SEC level. Jalen Smith, stiff but super physical. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, better, best football still ahead of him, but still has to, you know, again learn to play at this level. And then Shane Umarov. Big physical. Probably needs an offseason to rework his body, um, but you can't teach size. All right, let's. Uh, we got a couple more, but let's end on let's end on this one, okay? This is from Dirk. Serious question in all caps: Is Tennessee back? And I'm not looking for we have to wait a couple of years that type of answer. I want y'all's gut feeling as of today: Is Tennessee back? What's back? What does that mean? I heard Josh and Swain talking about this earlier in the week. I mean, are they going to win? Are they going to win the SEC this year? No. Swain Swain described being back as in contending for a national championship because you're doing that every single year. But like, are you actually in play to win a championship? So, so they were not back based on last year because they didn't put themselves in a position in November to win a national title. But well, but no. I mean, they were in position to make the playoffs until that last loss. Yeah. Um, Let's I mean, just so are they are they playing in a big bowl game? That's back to me. Are they, are they, you know, playing in the Orange Bowl, playing in the Fiesta Bowl, playing in the Sugar Bowl, heck, even playing in the Citrus Bowl, you know, which is a place Tennessee has not been since 2001. Yeah, I think, I think setting the bar for contending for national title is too high for saying they're back. I think for me, it's, it's really simple. Is, is Al, are Alabama and Florida out, or Alabama and Georgia, are those lay down games or are you competitive? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Tennessee is going to be, I think they're in a position that they're going to be competitive against everybody they play in the SEC. 
I think that so if that's if, if if under that scenario, then the answer is yes, they're they're back. Now are they I mean, you gotta do that multiple years to say they're back? Sure. But but I I mean I, I think Tennessee, if they answer a couple of a couple of things, you know, this offseason, offensive tackle and some things, I think they can compete against Alabama next year. Now everybody's chasing Georgia, but I think mm-hmm. they can compete against Florida. Okay. I, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have made that statement. Three years ago, I don't think I would have made that statement. So from that standpoint, then if that's your definition of back, then yeah, Tennessee's back. If your definition is that Tennessee is going to be a contender for the playoff year in and year out in, in the month of November, I don't I don't know that they're there yet, you know, because of where Georgia's at. But if your point is could Tennessee's contending against all the big boys, you know, against the big boys in the SEC, then yes. And if that's the case, then it probably does give them a chance to be in the playoff picture every year. Especially with them going to 12. You know, that's where it opens up oh, things yeah. for everybody. I agree with what Rob said about are the Alabama-Georgia games laydowns. No, they're not anymore. Um, but also, I do think to be, quote-unquote, back, you got to stack some seasons on top of one another. This last season was awesome. Losing a, a, a critical piece of your coaching staff in Gullish and then obviously your quarterback. How does Tennessee respond, and, and can Tennessee be back up there and, and, and winning some of those big games again? I'm, I'm intrigued to see that. Yeah, here, was, here would be my thing, too, when you say back, competing for national titles. I mean, you know, in the 90s, they played for one, and they went to the Citrus Bowl most of the rest of the time. So were they, were they truly ever arrived? But how many times would they have been in the 14 college playoff? They weren't. They weren't. They, they didn't beat they didn't beat Florida they didn't compete against Florida but like if that was their how many times would they have been in those college football rankings if that was back then like as the five the six pushing to be in the top four being in that conversation and likely breaking in the top four I mean they, they would have been in that conversation every year though well sure they would have I mean but that wasn't the rule I mean that wasn't the case I mean you know and, and my point is this I mean everybody acts like Tennessee played for the trophy seven straight years or something like that. I mean, they didn't. I mean, you know, I mean, mean, that just wasn't the case. Now, they were a very good program in a league that wasn't very good, that wasn't very deep. Florida was great. Tennessee was really good. And everybody else was kind of okay, right? This conference is different now than it was back then, is my point. It's a heck of a lot deeper. It's a heck of a lot more challenging. And it's only going to get more challenging. There were laydown games in the 90s lay down games there's not lay down game there's not that many lay down games in this league you know that this league is different so i don't know that it's gonna you know this league's never going to be a two-team i don't think it's going to be a two-team league moving forward like it was for a decade and it really was a two-team league for 10 years in the 90s we all know the answer is who's more talented the 99 team that lost in nebraska in the fiesta bowl versus last year's team We, we all agree with that but what's more impressive, the the 2022 run to getting to the Orange Bowl, or the '99 season going to the Fiesta Bowl? Because it, to me, it it it's it's definitely last year because of what Hubs is saying, because of how deep the league is. If you can just get to a big bowl game, it's a, it mm-hmm. to me that signifies you're you're pretty daggone good. Yeah. Well, the '99 team was a disappointment. They were a complete disappointment. They should have won the national title. I mean, they were the best team in the country in 99. The problem was they weren't as motivated coming off a 98 win. They didn't have the leadership of Al Wilson, and they led an egg against Arkansas. That was, a, that was a team that was ranked second in the BCS in November. You go beat Arkansas, you can make a case for yourself being, 
you know, in, in the BCS title game in 99, and, and they didn't get it done. I was just using that team because I didn't want to use 97 because they actually won the league. Yeah. Um, no, but, the, the you know, part of that, too, is expectations. Sure. Right? Anything short of winning the national title in 99, it was going to be a disappointment. Whereas so last, last year, you're just hoping – you're still hoping to be competitive against these teams. And then you go – you beat Alabama and you're number one in the playoffs when they first come out. To Hubs's point, the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, those have risen to big-time status. They weren't that way for many, 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 many years as far as, like, the big four, right? Tennessee's played in one of the big four four times since 1991. Four. Before last year. Before last year. So, it's not – I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's – to Hubs's point, like, it's not like, you know, yeah, Tennessee's been good, but, you know, they had the one magical year in 98, and they were knocking on the door several times. But, you know, it's not like they were sitting there in the, you know, Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, you know. Yeah, now, now the here's, here's the thing you have to remember about those deals in the 90s. The bowl tie-ins were very different. So it was different. That's right. If you didn't go to the Sugar Bowl, then you were going to the Citrus Bowl yep. as the number two team in the SEC. That's right. That's not the case with the New Year's Six. So if you go with the whole – if you put the current system into that system there, Tennessee would have played in a bunch of New Year's Six Bowls back then because they sure. would have been one of the – elite teams the bowl situation what was different so but but i mean it, it again you're hard you're comparing decades the game's different the league's different everything is different i think tennessee um i think tennessee fans should be excited about where they are i think tennessee fans should be excited about the direction that they're going as long as this staff stays um and they should and, and things are going as they as they are right now i don't think there's any reason why tennessee fans shouldn't believe you know, they're on their way back or they are, quote, back or they're knocking on the door being back or, quote, you know, they are back. I I, I go back to Rob's point. If you're not going to get beat at home by 24 points against Alabama, does that mean you're back? Then I guess you're back because I don't think Tennessee is going to get beat by four touchdowns against Alabama and be uncompetitive in Neyland Stadium like they were for, oh, I don't know, six consecutive trips by the Tide to Knoxville. It's a really good topic. Any any law of listeners out there, you can you can look forward to this on Thursday's show as well after you listen to the VolQuest podcast because there's some good stuff here. I'm going to dive into it. What's it mean for Tennessee to be back? Is Tennessee back? A lot of good stuff here. Great stuff from everybody here on the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. And a big thank you as always to Exterior Home Solutions for making all of this possible. Uh, free estimates when you need roofing help, siding help, uh, literally anything for home repairs to enhance what you have right now, or maybe a big storm comes and and you need some repair work. Exterior Home Solutions can make it happen for you. you give them a call today for a free estimate, 865-524-5888. That is 865-524-5888. Or visit them online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. For Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis, Austin Price, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys as always for uh, listening and watching to us here on the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast. You've been listening to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on BallQuest. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. 
That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.